0: Okay, so this is, we're going to experiment today with this new mic, but we experimented with it last Sunday before everybody got here, and it was cutting out, so I can hear that it's on right now, but if I cut out and I keep going and I don't know it, let me know and I'll switch to that. All right, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 43. Um, while you're turning there, I want to tell you just a story about something when my kids were little. We, our kids had this toy. It was a little toy bus made by Leapfrog, and it had letters on the sides, and it would teach things about the letters and the alphabet and colors, and it had animals inside the bus, and they made animal noises, and they told really, really lame jokes um they were really bad like they're worse than dad jokes so when a child was is not pushing the buttons for some time the characters would run through random statements or jokes until it turned itself off and there was a specific statement that i'm sure leapfrog intended to be used as you know to teach a good moral or lesson but every once in a while the cat would chime in and say remember Be nice to your friends, as if you're only supposed to be kind to those who will return kindness to you. And so Miley and I would, we would add our own commentary to this. We'd hear the cat say, remember, be nice to your friends. And we would say, not your enemies. (laughs) Now, I'm sure it was meant to teach something that was good, you know, to kids, but it fell quite short of the standard, to which Jesus calls us in the Sermon on the Mount, And honestly, that kind of teaching doesn't really do anything to prepare kids to deal with the real world where people are not nice to you. So in our text today, Jesus is going to show us how to deal with real life when there are people who are not nice to you. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. If you are able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. So Jesus continues with these statements of, you have heard, but I, say to, but I say to you. So he says in 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this text today, I just pray that you would help us to approach your word with humility to handle your word with faithfulness and to learn this part of your character that is a difficult thing for us to do. But it's a part of your character, this command to love our enemies. And so show us how, that, how to do that, what that looks like in our life. And prepare us so that when we encounter a situation where we need to demonstrate love toward an enemy, that you've already trained us to just respond in a way that is Christ-like. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, so your first point in your notes is love your friends and your enemies. Love your friends and your enemies. And Jesus says in verse 43... You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now remember, he's, te- he's ta- talking about what they have been taught by the rabbis and the Pharisees. And love your neighbor is something that is found in Leviticus 19.18. And so it is a very clear command in the Old Testament that you are to love your neighbor. The phrase hate your enemy is found nowhere in all of Scripture. It's found nowhere in the Bible. There's not a single place that you can point to where God tells his people that they should have hatred toward an enemy. But it had become a part of the Jewish mindset by the time of Jesus' ministry, and so he's addressing it here. Now, the Essenes were a group of people who, back in Israel's history in the intertestamental period time between the Old and New Testaments, the Essenes were a group of people who in order to be faithful to God, they, they separated themselves from, from society. They went out and they lived in the desert by themselves and cut themselves off from everything else so that they could remain pure and holy before God. And that, that group of people emphasized hatred toward those who were not a part of God's covenant people. And they viewed themselves as the only ones who were true to that because anybody else, even other Jews, were not fully devoted to God like they were. And so they emphasized hatred toward those outside of that group and outside of God's covenant people. And the Pharisees, who by the time of Jesus' ministry would have been model citizens or model Jews... The Pharisees came out of that movement of the Essenes. So it's possible that they learned this concept of loving, loving your neighbor but hating your enemy from that history and that group of people that they came out of, that movement. Exodus chapter 23 and Proverbs chapter 25, they actually teach the opposite of what the Pharisees and the rabbis were teaching because those two chapters actually command us to be kind to our enemies. I'm not going to read them, but you guys can write that down, and you can go back and look if you want later. But they actually command God's people to be kind to their enemies. And then in Romans chapter 12, which we read last week in the sermon, because remember, this one is very connected to the text we looked at last week. Romans chapter 12, Paul is writing the church in Rome, and and he says... Um, In verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The idea being, even if somebody does something harmful to you, even if somebody stands in opposition to you or as an enemy to you, you are to return their evil with kindness and love and mercy and forgiveness if necessary. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, Jesus says then with this understanding of what God of God's heart and what God would um what God wants his people to know he continues in verses 44 and 45 and he says so after he says love your neighbor and hate your you've heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy he says but I tell you so here's where he raises the standard I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven Now remember Jesus is not teaching or commanding something of you and I that he does not demonstrate himself. Jesus, if you remember, while he's hanging on the cross, prays for those who are his enemies, prays for those who are actually having him put to death. And so... Jesus demonstrates this very concept later on when he's hanging on the cross. But look, there's a purpose there. So he says, this is what you've heard, but I'm going to raise the standard, this is not right. I'm going to tell you what God actually commands. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, but there's a purpose in this. So he says, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, I want you to think about... What you know of fathers and sons, um, when we're talking about a healthy relationship within, uh, between parents and children, and if you, if you think about that, think about how often little boys want to pretend to be their dad. Um, I'll just give you an example. There was a kid who lived two doors down from me when I was growing up. He was a little bit younger than me, but we were friends and we hung out a lot. Uh, he, was a, he had a crazy imagination. Um, I never knew who I was going to be encountering when I went to go knock on his door. I didn't know if I was going to be encountering Marty McFly from Back to the Future or if I was going to be encountering um, some of his other characters that he would play or if I was going to be encountering his dad through him. Because he pretended all the time. He was always in character, of some character, but one that he was frequently pretending to be was his dad. His dad was a mechanic. His dad had a shirt that he wore for his job with a patch with his name on it. And so this kid would get a, cut a piece of paper and write not his name. He'd write his dad's name on there. Uh, misspelled it, but he wrote it. And he would tape it to his shirt, and then he would pretend to be his dad and he would act like he was working on cars and stuff like that. Um, think about that, little, like, little boys frequently look up to their dads, want to be like their dads, pretend to be their dads when they're playing. There's something in our DNA that God has placed, like, this longing in us to be like our parents. And it's the same, some with girls, look, you know, looking up to their mothers. Um, A boy pretends to be a firefighter because his dad is or a boy pretends to be a mechanic or a doctor or whatever i mean you could put anything in that blank there we want to be like them and we want to we want them to be proud of us Um, and so there's this looking up and this desiring to imitate now if you take that understanding from something that you've probably seen in your own life If we want to be sons of our Father or daughters of our Father in Heaven, if we want to be like God, who's in Heaven, then we need to imitate Him like a little boy would imitate his father. And imitating our Father in Heaven looks like loving our enemies, which is not the fun part of imitating God. It's not the easy part of imitating God, but Imitating our Father in heaven looks like loving our enemies. Now, I mentioned last week in the text prior to this um, that Romans 5.10, Paul writes the church in Rome, and he says um, that we were once God's enemies, and yet God loved us and laid down his life for us. Uh, Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so God calls us to love like he does, like he loves. And he loves those who stand in, even those who are standing in opposition to him, with a desire for them to return to him in repentance. Um, Now, that call to love, to love like God does, is a it's not an easy thing to do, it's actually a very difficult thing to do. And some people I've heard say that loving like God is or loving the way God calls us to love like him is too difficult. The cost is too high. Some people think the cost is too high. Will you turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 verse 16? 1 John 3:16. John is writing, and he says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Then he adds this. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So that is a very high cost of our our life, that we would be willing to lay down our life in order to show love. But the cost of hatred is greater, because look at what verse 15 says. John three fifteen, the verse right before it says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So yes, the cost of loving is high, and it may, it may require you to lay down your life. But the cost of lacking in love, the cost of hating someone because they are an enemy, is a more dangerous thing for us the cost is much greater. So Jesus says, don't just love your friends, love your enemies as well, and pray for those who persecute you so that you can be sons or daughters of your Father in Heaven. Now, Jesus gives that command, and then he shows us how God has set the standard, which is your second point, how God has set the standard for us and shows us through example. So verse 45, he, this is Jesus talking about God the Father, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So theologians talk about common grace and saving grace. So let me just define those two. Saving grace is his offer of grace that is the means by which people are saved. So, the shed blood of Christ on the cross is God's act of grace that saves people. Grace meaning something that we don't deserve or we can't earn. Um, it was offered Eternal life was offered through Christ's shed blood on the cross. Common grace is the goodness that God shows to all people, or the blessings he pours on all people, even those who reject him and refuse to follow him. Common grace is the goodness that God shows to all people, even those who reject him and refuse to follow him. So, that's what Jesus is speaking about here. He's talking about God's common grace in verse 45. Even the evil receive the benefits of the sunshine, and even the unrighteous receive the benefits of the rain that waters the earth. So those blessings, those benefits are reaped by believers and non-believers. People who humble themselves before God and surrender to him and those who stand in opposition to him and reject him. So that's the difference between saving grace and common grace. And so theologians will talk about those two different kinds of um, displays of God's grace. The purpose of common grace, the purpose of the, the blessings that God pours out on all people, believers and unbelievers alike. The reason for that, the purpose of that, is to draw a sinner into saving grace. It's to witness to God's sovereignty and how he has offered his his saving grace through his son Jesus to anybody who will receive him. So it bears witness to who he is. He's the one who's in control of the sunshine. He's the one who's in control of the rain. He's the one who allows that to fall or shine on all people. So it bears witness to his sovereignty, but it draws the sinner into saving grace. And it displays that God loves all people, good and evil. Um, 2 Peter 3.9, we won't turn there, but you can just write that reference in your notes. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God's desire is for all people. To come to repentance and be saved. Not some, not just the elect. His desire is for all. Now, he knows who will not turn to him. He knows who is part of the elect that were uh, determined before the foundations of the world, as Paul writes of. But his desire is that no one would be lost. That's his desire, but he will not tolerate sin and wickedness, so the wicked will not inherit eternal life if they do not repent. If they choose to not repent and they reject him, then even though he desires all to come to repentance and be saved through his son Jesus, he cannot allow those who will not repent and surrender to him to to have that saving grace. So verses 46 and 47, Jesus continues to go on as he's describing how God sets the standard here. He says, if you love those, and this is where he's going to challenge you in order to raise your standard and be like God has set the standard. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? I mean, everybody does that. Everybody loves those who are who show love back to them. Everybody's nice and kind to those who return it. And if you greet only your brothers, then what are you doing more than others? Like, don't even, don't even the pagans do that. Don't even the people who run after false gods that you look down upon, don't they even do that? They're kind to those who are kind to them. Now think about the context here, because he's speaking to Jews, and they are within the Roman umbrella of authority. The Roman Empire... Um, is in control of the land of Judea at the time. And he's speaking to Jews, and they hated the Romans. They hated everything that had to do with Rome. And they hated also, maybe even more, the Jewish people who worked for the Roman government by collecting taxes from their fellow Jews. Um, Everybody knew that the tax collectors were thieves. That was just an understanding that was a given in the the culture. They would collect the taxes. So Rome would say, you need to collect this much money from each citizen. They They would collect more than what they were supposed to. They would give Rome the portion that Rome required, and they'd pocket the rest of it so that they became rich off of it. And everyone knew that they did it. And so Luke... When he writes about, because um, Luke gives an account of the, much of the Sermon on the Mount as well. When, and whenever Luke writes about tax collectors, Luke just groups them in with the general population of sinners. There's, there are, you know, the faithful, and then there are sinners and tax collectors in this group. And Matthew groups them together with the Gentiles. And we know how they felt about the Gentiles, so Matthew, there's the faithful, and there is sinners, or Gentiles, and tax collectors. They were, the Tax collectors were considered to be out of fellowship with God. Tax collectors were um, considered the most apostate of Jews. And so when, when Jesus makes this comment, or challenges them with these questions. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what do you do more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? When when Jesus does that, he's, he's getting into a touchy subject. But his statements in verses 46 and 47 tell us that if we are only loving those who love us back, then we're no better than the apostates and we're no better than non-believers, or people who are running after other gods. And so he wraps this up in verse 48 with a statement that is in the same spirit of a statement from the Old Testament, which we'll read in a second, but he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The standard is not love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The standard is love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you can be sons of your Father in heaven. Because what he does is he shows goodness and kindness and common grace to believers and non-believers, the righteous and the wicked. And you are to be sons of your Father in heaven. You are to imitate that because if all you're doing is being kind to those who will be kind to you, you're not being like your Father in heaven. If all you're doing is greeting those who will greet you in return with, with friendliness and acceptance, and then you're not being like your Father in heaven because he loves his enemies. So the standard really is to be perfect as God is perfect. Now, there's the same concept that we see in Leviticus 11:44 44 and 45, where God says twice in those two verses, be holy because I am holy. So we see it commanded in the Old Testament, Jesus repeats it in the New Testament. So it's really not a suggestion. It's a command. Be holy as I'm holy. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. He doesn't say, try to be holy as I'm holy. Try to be perfect. God's standard is perfection. His standard of thought and speech and action in the life of a redeemed soul is holiness and perfection. And though we cannot achieve that, We can only achieve that through the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us when we give our life to him. We can't achieve it on our own. God does expect, though, for us to surrender 100% of our life over to him and to attempt with everything that we can to reflect that holiness and that perfection. But ultimately, since we cannot do it in our flesh, christ's righteousness is given to us when we give our life to him and make him Lord and Savior. This statement in verse forty eight "Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect," summarizes everything that Jesus has taught from matthew five twenty one to matthew five forty seven all of those sections where he says you have heard that it was said, but I tell you this, where he raises that standard. He summarizes the whole thing by saying, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So as I wrap up, let me just give a quick review statement. We'll close with this. A review statement of what he has taught in those sections with the understanding He's calling you to a standard of perfection as God is perfect. So he says, not only are you not supposed to murder, do not even harbor anger in your heart. Not only are you not supposed to commit adultery, don't even lust after someone. Not only are you allowed to get divorced in certain situations, really, divorce is not a solution in all of Scripture, according to God, for conflict in marriage. Be a person of integrity by keeping your word no matter what, even when it hurts. Do not be a person who seeks revenge, but allow God to handle the situation and repay what is deserving, but you show love. And remember, be nice to your friends and your enemies. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you don't just tell us that we need to be nice to our enemies or that we need to love our enemies and pray for them, but that you set an example for us and so if you did it to, if you showed love to us when we were your enemies, then really we don't have any excuse for for not following in your footsteps in that because no matter what can be done to harm us or to offend us or to um, persecute us, no matter what can be done in this world. Nothing can that can be done to us is as grievous of an offense as our sin is against a holy God. And yet, you dis, you displayed your love toward us when we were still separated from you, when we were still your enemies and standing in opposition to you. Your Son still died on the cross and said, this offer is for you. You just have to accept, accept the gift. So help us to love our enemies. That forgiveness and that love frees us. Rather than being bound by bitterness and hatred and, and anger that just festers inside until it erupts, and comes out not not just in our thoughts, but in our speech and in our actions. Rather than that, you want us to show love so that we are freed from that. We can experience some healing, and we can bear witness to your love, even to those who have done something to harm us. And if you are kind enough to show your your goodness to the righteous and the wicked. Then help us to be kind enough to show your love to those who have done something against us. We're getting ready to celebrate communion where you gave the ultimate price for those who were enemies. And we are thankful, God, that you are willing to lay down your life for us. Let us have that kind of love for all people. In Jesus' name, amen.